Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Pat Donovan and joining me tonight is special guest Bubba Dentrick of the Bench with Bubba podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. What's going on, man? Not much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, No problem. No problem. Our pleasure to have you as always. A good friend of the podcast. Uh, Before we get started with shortstop tonight, which is the preview, which is the position we're previewing, is there anything that you would like to promote or or talk about regarding what you got going on? Uh, I got, like you said, the Bench with Bubba podcast coming out once or twice a week. I'm going to be doing the second base preview tomorrow. So a little behind you guys here at the Fantasy World Order. Um, Transitioning websites, we were the sportsdgens.com. Hopefully tomorrow we will launch fantasysportsdgens.com. So that'll be a, a new thing we have going on. So if people go check that out, we'd much appreciate it. And there's many other podcasts and stuff going on at uh, now Fantasy Sports DGEN. So thanks for having me, and thanks for letting me promote my stuff. Ah, no problem, no problem. You you do a great job over there. Uh, Bench with Bubba is a must listen. Uh, you you cover all spectrums of fantasy sports throughout the year, uh, and you're a wonderful interviewer as well. Uh, so I highly Thank recommend you. it to our audience. Thank you. Okay, so without uh, further ado, let's kick off the shortstop preview with the first overall shortstop, Francisco Lindor, 4.83 NFBC ADP. And this ADP is from December 1st through present day. So many, did not, many didn't think that Lindor could top 2017, but he managed to exceed it in 2018. Has Lindor seized the number four spot on your board, or is there someone else you prefer after the big three, with those guys being Trout, Betts, and Ramirez? It's a great question because, like you said, many did not think he could do what he did last year, and he just continued to just, you know, outdo it. 38 home runs, 25 stolen bases. Um, you know, most projection sites still have him for 30 or more homers, 20 or more stolen bases, 285-plus average. That warrants definite top billing. Um, I'd like to say, yes, he's my four. Uh, I, I could be persuaded to go to his teammate. It's pretty crazy to think there could be two Cleveland Indians in the top four. But uh, Jose Ramirez definitely warrants a, a conversation there. But I have no problem with, with Lindor. But as we will talk about, the position is so deep, it's hard for me to maybe pay up at that point where I can go get you know another position, if it's Ramirez or Arenado or J.D. Martinez or go to Max Scherzer. Depends on how you feel. Depends on your draft strategy. But Lindor definitely warrants consideration there. And if you took him at four, I would not judge you at all. Yeah, I mean, I personally – and, and I may be in the minority here, uh, prefer the locked-in four categories that Arenado provides. Yes. Um, you know, Lindor has offered both power and speed with elite run production. Uh, at least last year, the run production was, was at an elite level. Uh, the batting average has been at a respectable level, plus, plus level, but he's got some BABIP issues. I could see the BABIP rebounding, but the run production I don't think is going to be at the level it was last year. That lineup is just not as good or as deep as it was last year. And you had career years from both Lindor and Ramirez. Um, He also wasn't very efficient on the base paths, uh, 25 of 35. So that's something to watch. But, you know, I I think I said this last week about Ramirez. I mean, there's so little in that lineup aside from the two of them. And and I like Carlos Santana too, but it's just not a very long lineup. So I I don't think that Cleveland's going to tie him the first base by any means. I don't think they would do that. Uh, but I, I think that the volume still might be there as a result of how poor um, that lineup is depth-wise. What do you think about that? I mean, do you, do you, are you a Jake Bowers guy? Do you think there's enough there for him to, um, you know, not run freely, so to speak? 
No, I, I agree with with a lot of that. Uh, when you are making a, a pick and you're kind of trying to grasp at straws or, or you know pull strings here, it makes sense to look at where he's going to be in the order and um, his surrounding pieces, as you're saying. And Jake Bowers is a popular name to many right now. He's projected to be the fifth batter in the Cleveland order right now in roster resource, which it's pretty crazy when you think about it. Could barely get in the roster in the lineup um, last go around, and now here he is. But um, I do believe in Jake Bowers. I just don't believe in the power numbers. I'd be happy if he got to 20. Uh, Carlos Santana's good, but, you know, how good is he? So I do agree. You know, you got Lindor, Kipnis, Ramirez, top three in the order. Kipnis, yeah, he, he came on more towards the second half of last season, but it doesn't, you know, knock your socks off. So a guy like Lindor, there is reason to maybe let him run wild, like you're saying, at the same time as why would a pitcher want to throw to Lindor if he can get Kipnis out at the same time. There's, there's a lot of caveats to this. So um, I agree with everything you're saying that a lineup is not nearly as potent because after Bowers, you have Naquin, Roberto Perez, Leonis Martin, and Greg Allen. That does not scare you. No, so, not at all. So you could literally walk around Lindor and Ramirez and just kind of pick your poison. Yep, yep, I agree with that. All right, let's move to Trey Turner, second, uh, 10.96 ADP. The fantasy industry man crush, he's going in a little bit more of a reasonable price towards the back end of the first round than where he's, where he's been in recent years towards the top. Uh, where do you come down on Turner as a player? And do you think his stolen base total should boost his value this much? This much, maybe not. But at the same time, you just mentioned the four-category upside with a Nolan Arenado. And now we go back farther. And trust me, I've last year I was fighting the Trey Turner crowd with a pitchfork because he was people wanted to take him two or three. Yeah, overall. I was on that bandwagon so, with you as well. Another so one like, where I, we were probably I, in the minority. <laughs> yeah, we were definitely in the minority. But it's like now that the season has passed, now that I got to see he played 162 baseball games last year. And like that doesn't sound exciting when you say it, but in reality, that's pretty darn impressive. Um, and, you know, he's hit 270 with 19 homers and 43 steals. He's projected to have, you know, close 17-plus home runs. He's projected to have over 40 stolen bases. He's projected to hit very well. The order is still very good. People think they lost Bryce Harper and they're, they're doomed, but they're not. You know, you still have, you know, Victor Robles should be very good, but you have Adam Eaton. You have um, Zimmerman, Lindor, or Lindor, uh, Rendon. You have Soto. Let's not forget about the great uh, Bambino and, and Soto there. There's a lot to like in that Nationals order. And if Trey Turner can be the table setter, I love it. We also have to remember part of Turner's problems last year is they didn't have him leading off all the time, early in the season especially. And that was tilting to a lot of people. He should be the staple as leadoff man, or at least number two in the order this year. And if that's the case, you have to like him here, especially at 10 or 11, because he's going to lock down, run scored. He's going to steal a bunch of bases. If he gets you close to 20 homers, hits what he hits, I can see the justification. In a world where stolen bases, an elite steal, stolen base guy is much more hard to find. Yeah, I, I, think the more, I think I'm more comfortable for the market has come back to. Um, you know, I, I'm still floating with him four or five spots lower on my big board. Um, but I'm, I'm glad he's no longer getting discussed as a top four pick at yes. this point. Um, you know, generally I think the stolen base craziness is a little overblown, but yeah, I mean, like you said, if Turner's hitting one or two in that lineup, um, the lineup is still very, very good. And I think that's sort of going under the radar, as you mentioned, I mean, there's, you know, a conceivable top four of Eaton, Turner, uh, Soto and Rendon, uh, with Dozier and, uh, Zimmerman and up to the sixth spot. I mean, we just talked about the Cleveland lineup, for instance. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Ramirez and Lindor would kill for that sort of surrounding. 
so, I mean, the, the run production is going to be there, whether it's one or two. And, and the Nationals did run quite a bit last year, and I suspect if Bryce is gone, as we are expecting at this point, um, they're going to they're gonna let Turner run pretty freely. Uh, he's a non-zero in power. He's got the ability to hit, you know, 275, 280, 285 in that range. That's obviously a plus as well. So, yeah, I'm more on board with this than I've been. Um, but let me ask you this. So we're going to talk about Bregman and Machado next. Do you have Turner in front of those two? I have him in front of Bregman. I have Machado in front of okay. both. Okay, all right. Uh, and, and I'll explain why when we get to Machado. But one last thing on Turner here, and when we talk about Harper, let's not count out the Nationals now because today the Dodgers signed A.J. Pollock, so they're now out of the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. And I know the Phillies are still involved and – there's always mystery teams, but the Nationals still have the funds. They still kept dialogue with him. There's still a relationship there. It's not completely out of question that he goes back to Washington. No, absolutely, absolutely. And I shouldn't. I, if I if I meant as though I if I sounded as no, though no, I was no, 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 it was no. not was not intended that. No, way. I wasn't. I wasn't calling you out for that. But there's a lot of people out there. You see them all the time. Where like for the last few months, it's been there's no way Harper's going back to Washington. And, Every day, it seems like there's more and more likelihood it actually could happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, I kind of hope it doesn't <laughs> because I yeah, sort so of I. like the discount that we're getting on some of the nationals outside of Juan Soto. And I suspect True. if Harper signs, a lot of that discount will come out of them. Like, I mean, I like the price on Rendon. I like the price. I love the price on Ryan Zimmerman. I like the price on it's Brian Dozier. Um, so I, I think that because Bryce isn't there, you're kind of getting a little bit of a discount on those other Nats outside of Soto, who's obviously got all the hype. Um, so I think if Harper ends up back there, I think a lot of that comes back and the price won't be so good surrounding those guys. Agreed. Okay. So Alex Bregman, 11.87, third overall shortstop also has third base eligibility. You know, we saw Bregman break through last year. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit of regression coming in the power department here. Uh, 31 is closer to his ceiling. I think upper 20s is about what to expect. I expect the surroundings to be vastly improved given health from Altuve and Correa, plus the addition of Brantley. And, you know, they've been sniffing around some DH types. Maybe maybe they bring somebody in. Uh, Jose Martinez, for instance, would fit very well here, uh, as would an Edwin Carnacion. But even if they don't, you know, even if Bregman loses four to five bombs, um, I still think that the run production is going to be at such a level that it's going to offset that kind of loss. The plate discipline is obviously awesome. Um, the BABIP hasn't been there to the level that you would expect it to be. So there, so I still think there's some average upside as well. So what's your view on Bregman? Is there, is there room for regression here in your mind, or do you expect more of the same from what we saw from him in 2018? Yeah, I, I do think there's regression and this is, it sucks because you, if you like baseball, you like, you like Alex Bregman. He's, he's fun. Um, he's he can be snarky, but he's fun. And uh, 31 home runs, I agree, could be kind of the ceiling for this guy. Uh, one thing we have to remember: he just had elbow surgery, and they're hoping he's ready. They're expecting he's ready by opening opening day, which you know that's got to make you wonder: will he be ready, ready, or does he need spring training type reps to be ready for opening day? Uh, we've seen that play out a lot in recent years. I, I, I do agree. I could see like a 25, 26 home run type season from Bregman, which is still outstanding. Um, the biggest thing with Bregman compared to some of these other first round guys, cause you can find power early on. Obviously you can find power later in the draft. You can find a 25 home run guy later in the draft, but a lot of these early guys, 
you're getting steals. We talked about Lindor with all those steals. Jose Ramirez even steals bases, and he's about my size, so it surprises <laughs> many. Um, it, it's 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 just weird. Spin zone though, his RBIs could go even better this year because last year Carlos Correa was hurt all season long. We'll talk about him later. Jose Altuve probably played the second half with a completely dislocated, torn apart knee. Both those guys should be healthy and moving around on the base paths to be driven in by a Bregman. At least Altuve will Bregman will probably be in front of Correa. But you get my gist here. The offense might be even better in Houston. So if Bregman's average is still there, his OBP is still there, which it should be. You know, the guy's OBP is, is outstanding. Almost 400 last year. Even if it's 375, that's great. Um, all the county stats besides stolen bases should be there. So I think he's a very fine pick. I still like Machado better. But I have no problem with Bregman if that helps at all. Okay, and what are your thoughts on Javier Baez, the fourth overall shortstop? 13.64, he's got second base and third base eligibility. Obviously completely different from Bregman, but similarly priced. Are you buying the breakout from Baez, or does the plate discipline still give you cause for concern? The plate discipline terrifies me. <laughs> Absolutely terrifies me. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's scary because the guy, he could be like the next Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Or not Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Sr., and play discipline doesn't matter. He just he hits the baseball. And if that's the case, so be it. But, you know, the hard contact rate, the barrel rates, the O-swing rates, it's all been documented and, and repeated over and over again. Um, it, it, they were out of this world. Like, if, you, if you're a computer stats guy, which, like, model guy, he outperformed every metric you could think of. Now, is he still very good? Yes. But we just talked about Alex Bregman regression. Um, Javier Baez, the powers should regress. All the counting stats should regress. The batting average is going to regress. The only thing that might not would be the stolen bases, which is still great. Again, what I just said, Bregman doesn't have. Javi Baez does have there. Um, but the regression and the other major stats really well, if you don't, hurt. If, so, if you yes, don't mind I, me interrupting, I, the, I, my, my co-host brought up a great point on the stolen bases in terms of Baez. So if, you're, if you are expecting the average to come back down, right, because of the stolen bases should, the be, stolen down bases should be down too because he doesn't walk. Yeah. Very good point. That's a very good point. Yes, that's a, an outstanding point. So there you go. Um, and maybe that's why in recent years, you know, 10 stolen bases, 12. Uh, he had 17 and 16 the previous years in the minors. But he has just two full seasons in the bigs, 12 stolen bases and 10 stolen bases where he struck out 24 and 28.3% of the time. So, yeah, you might have a very, very valid point there because even in those two years, he hit 273 compared to 290 last year. He, you know, stolen bases were cut in half, basically. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where, you know, everybody sort of sees the regression coming in the batting average, but I, I just haven't seen the same sort of expectation when it comes to the speed. And, I mean, I'm personally right around a 25-15-275 type projection, which is obviously, you know, not worth it at this price. Um, no, not at all. But, you know, I, I just feel like I've seen a lot of 275, 20 steals, 275, 25 steals. And it, it's, it's really a, a very obvious point when you think about it. But I hadn't really mm-hmm. given it a lot of thought until last week as to, you know, kind of the, the explanation for it. Because if he's not getting, he's not walking and he's not hitting for that plus average, the double plus average, he's really not going to be on base enough to have the opportunities to run. Now that, that's a valid point. Now let me ask you this in the world we live in where everybody is, every organization has stat nerds now that, that take care of all the advanced metrics and they dial it all in. 
Who's to say this offseason, Javi Baez hasn't worked on plate discipline and we all just get egg in our face? I mean, it's possible. It's just I, I, I feel <laughs> – I don't, I don't see it. Yeah, I, I feel like that's kind of a tool that doesn't really you develop that way. Yeah, I, I don't think that yeah. that's something that suddenly you develop. I mean, his approach has always been very aggressive, and I don't even think it would be a good thing if he sure. went more passive at the plate because I think the reason why he's able to sort of – suppress that K rate to the extent he's able to suppress it, even with a 15 plus percentage uh, swing strike rate or whatever it is. I know it's extremely high um, is because he doesn't get deep into counts. So he's not, he's not exposing himself to a lot of two strike counts because he's swinging freely and making contact. And if he starts trying to take pitches and take walks, and he's not very good at recognizing pitches to begin with. It's it, it could be a recipe for disaster if he decides to do that. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting. He's going to be one of those that we'll be talking about all year, and there's going to be the side that was right, the side that was wrong, and everyone will let you know. About oh it. yeah, I mean, even last year it was. <laughs> I mean, I was I didn't want him going outside the top 100. Uh, you know, yeah. I was I was all over this plate discipline bandwagon that everybody else is is seemingly still on. I mean, a lot of people are saying all right, listen, I'll admit the fact that I was wrong, that, you know, he was able to reach this sort of upside, even with a poor plate discipline profile, but I'm just not going to bet on it at, at 14 overall. No, and, and I think that stolen base argument is one that should really be talked about more because it really isn't mentioned at all, and it's a very valid argument to help anybody trying to say he's not going to perform like he did last year. That's a real easy way to knock him down the rankings. Yeah, so let me just ask you quick. Where is he in terms of big picture for you? I mean, are we talking 30 overall? Are we talking 20 overall? Are we talking 40 overall? Well, in my shortstop rankings, I have him sixth behind Lindor, Machado, Turner, Bregman, and Story. So if you start looking at where, like, Story's going in the NFBC right now, he's probably definitely, you know, where is Story? Story's going 19th. But I, I, I keep looking. I take him outside the top thirty. I'd rather ha- I'd rather roll the dice on guys like Chris Bryant and stuff. Yeah, like that. I agree. I agree. I've got I've got Baez somewhere between forty and forty five. Um, yeah, I, it's one of those. It's one of those where he'd have to fall almost probably two rounds for me to be like, okay, now I'll take the chance. Yeah, and when you rank him that low, you know you're not getting him. It's essentially yeah. You might no as well rank him two hundred at that point. It's just, and it, and it brings a, a point we can move on if you want. But when when people make rankings, like I make rankings, a lot of people make rankings. Even though you don't like a guy, you still have to rank him. So that's just kind of how it goes. Like I, I have to put him out there. I can't just leave him off the list. But it, there's it, that's why people listen to shows like yours, mine, and others to get a feeling for the deeper impact of those rankings. Because I want nothing to pretty much do with Javi Baez. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not even that. I mean, if you've got him in thirty-five to forty, you're still acknowledging the fact that he's. He's a capable player that he's got a profile that can mm-hmm. produce value. It's just you're expecting True. regression. You know, you're not – you don't have – like I said, you don't have him ranked 200. It's just the equivalent of having him yeah. ranked 200 because it, it, you're never going to get him at 35. You're never going to get him at 40. You're never going to get him at 45. There's always going to totally be somebody agree. that sees three positions and 30-20 and says, uh, I'm, I have to take the shot. Yep, you're 100% correct. Okay, so let's move to Manny Machado, fifth, 14.81. He's got third base eligibility, where 15 games started gets you that. Uh, seeing Machado as the fifth shortstop off the board is pretty strange. It lets you know how far the position has come. What do you think of this price, and could you see him climbing a bit once he signs? 
Yes, 100%. Uh, like I said, I have him as my second shortstop off the board right now. I And I, I put that there because the caveat, when I made my rankings, I feel he's going to Philadelphia or the White Sox. And you put that power bat in that stadium, I'll take it all day long. Like, he's going to be an absolute monster. He, he's played in ballparks where, you know, Camden Yards was, was very hitter-friendly, but even Dodger Stadium isn't, and he, it didn't matter. He has – since 2015, he's hit at least 33 or more home runs every year. He drives and runs. He hits 285 or better in pretty much every season. What is there not to like outside of stolen bases? Which he, he's gone up after that zero and 16. He's had nine and 14. So he's going to probably get you double digit steals. And we've already talked about a couple other shortstops that aren't going to get you more than like 10 or so. And he's going after all of them. I, I absolutely love Manny Machado. I think this is a, a big-time steal where he's going right now. And, yes, he should go up once he signs somewhere. Yeah, I like this price regardless of the final destination, you know, it, whether it's Chicago or mm-hmm. Philadelphia or, or maybe the Yankees get back involved, although I'm not anticipating it. Um, you know, I, I actually think in Chicago the price might stay kind of flat um, because I still think that team is – it sort of suffers – if they add Machado, it sort of suffers from the same thing that the Cleveland lineup does in that it sort of is a little bit lacking. I mean, if you put Eloy in there and Moncada takes a step forward, then the lineup starts to look a lot better. So there is a path, but it, it, it's sort of lacking towards the back end. Um, so I, I think that he may float here if he's in Chicago. If he's in New York or if he's in Philadelphia, I think that those lineups and ballparks are favorable enough that I would expect him to climb. But yeah, I mean, you laid it out. Plus power has hit for batting average in most seasons, um, especially when you consider the fact that he's made some gains there in terms of K rate. So the average is more likely to maintain at like a 280 plus level. Um, Very efficient on the base paths last year. He's young enough that they're unlikely to staple him to first base. Uh, When he does get on, I think he'll have the green light to be able to run when he wants to. So, I mean, 30, 15, 285 center of a good lineup. Um, Lots of run production. Yeah, I, I've got him above Bregman. I've got him above Baez. And I've got him above Turner as well. And it's it's kind of like the Arenado case where it's, yeah, maybe Turner and maybe Bregman might have a little bit more to their ceilings based upon Turner's speed and Bregman's situation. But I feel really safe with Machado. Um and I don't feel like that pick is going to blow up on me in any sort of way. Um, not that I, I, I don't want to make it sound like Bregman and Turner aren't safe. It's just, I, I think that I feel just safer with Machado than I do the two of them. Uh, does that factor into your analysis at all? Is there, is there like a safety element there or reliability that comes with Machado that has you in front of them? Yeah, definitely. When I'm, when I'm looking at early draft picks and, as deep as the early rounds are this year, like the first two or three rounds at least, I really want that reliability factor. Like I'll take my gambles later. Um, you, 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 that's where I like to do my things. And Machado, you made the comparison. I, I love using him to Arenado. They're like a yin and a yang to me. Like they are just really, really similar ball players. But to me, Machado just has even more, you know, he's ballpark proof if you really want to be that kind of person, which I don't care about that with Arenado. But yes, Machado's so consistently good it really factors high for me okay let's move it to trevor story six to shortstop overall 19.57 uh he's another player that hit another level in 2018 you know i was thinking about story when i discussed the players i would take turner over um ultimately i held story back there but 
the reason why I gave it some strong consideration is that Story really made some significant changes last year that underscored his fantastic results. Uh, made gains in contact, trimming his swing and strike rate down to 11%. And he was able to do that while keeping what really makes him special, which is the hard contact rate. Um, you know, I do expect some regression on the stolen bases here, but Story's a pretty good bet for double digits considering the fact that he is athletic, he's got speed, and he's been efficient on the base paths. Um, he's always been a plus Babbitt guy and a plus Babbitt park. Um, I do not feel, but I don't feel comfortable projecting him at 340 which is where he was last year. So I think a little bit of average regression is coming, but, you know, 30, 15, 275 in cores hitting behind Arenado uh, is a, is still a very, very nice asset in my mind. What are your thoughts on story? Yeah, I, I really like him. I, I was sitting back and watching him last year and trying to realize, is this for real? Is this the same Trevor story? We've, you know, we all tilted over the previous season. And like you said, the adjustments he made, it's well documented. In 17, he struck out 34% of the time. He improved that to 25, which is still not good, but almost a 10% improvement is pretty, pretty darn no, impressive but, I mean, when you really a, break things a guy, down. A guy that makes that kind of hard contact can live there, you know, yeah. especially in course. Yeah, and that's the thing. The Coors is a huge factor here. We can't ignore that. Um, and you, you mentioned the big Babbitt Park. I'm glad you mentioned that because people will go, oh, look at this Babbitt, and they don't realize the park factor that is Coors Field. Um, and like you said, there might be some regression in the stolen bases and, and the power, but he could still be a 30 to 35 homer guy. I'd say stick around 30. Maybe a 15 to 20 stolen base guy, um, you know, hit 275. Like you said, I agree with everything you said there. And it makes him, it really makes you wonder, like if he, if he's getting those kind of stats in Coors Field, how do you compare him to, you know, the, the Bregmans, the Baez's and those of the world? Cause I, I think story, the improvements he made look very, very real and something that people should really be buying into. Yeah, it does. It does become an interesting comparison, but I, I think that this is where the safety comes in, right? We've seen story yes, do it once. Sure. We've only seen story do it one year. We've seen him be be hurt before, um, so I, I think that that's. And then you have to worry about the road splits, um, you know, when he's going outside of cores if you're in a head-to-head format uh, or or a weekly format. Um, so that's that's sort of where I think story ends up down towards the bottom of this. I guess we'll call it the elite tier. Um, you know, however you want to break it down. If you want to break it down into two tiers, that's fine too. But I think that's sort of why he's there. Now, if we get another season of this, he very easily becomes, you know, that Bregman, that Machado type where you're looking at 30, 15, 275 plus, um, you know, and, and then I think that's when he, he takes that next step forward in terms of how we perceive him. But I have absolutely no issue with this price. I think it's actually a pretty good price. Definitely. Okay, the lightning rod, Alberto Mondesi, 44.15, seventh shortstop overall. He's going to have second base in 10-game formats. Um, you know, perhaps the most polarizing player in fantasy going into 2019. Are you paying the premium based on the sample, or are you staying away at this price? I'll be staying away. Um... Me too. And I just I don't want to like bomb on the kid because he's going to be good. He's going to put up really good numbers if he was picked like fifty spots later. Uh, he's just just we look at price point like we talked about hobby bias and everything. It's just one of those I can't buy into because you know this is the first time we've really seen the power from him. The steals are legit. But he's got to get on base and he's never been this consistently an on base guy. And, and if you want to point to Babbitt, it's one of his best Babbitts he's had. And you know a lot of the stuff he did happened in the later part of the season when we know all the best talents not out there. 
So there, there's a, a lot of question marks with Mondesi for me. And I'll just have to sit back and watch it. And if he goes off, more power to the guys that gambled. I won't be one of them. Yeah, I have him just inside my top 100. And, you know, I could see a scenario where, uh, you know, I jump around or two from that ranking to take him. But I think that's all elementary. I mean, based on this, even if I jumped around or two, I'm still at 75, which is 30 picks after this. He's already gone. Um, you know, you mentioned Javi Baez. That's a that's exactly who I'm thinking of when I think about this profile. Um, and I'm thinking about it from a negative aspect. Um, he lacks the patience and the contact. And, you know, I don't think Javier Baez is the rule. I think he's the exception to the rule. Um, and, you know, based on our conversation, I, I think you think the same way. I mean, there's volatility there in this sort of profile. And it's a little bit too much volatility with not a big enough sample for me to buy in at this price. Um, and Baez has a significant leash. I mean, I've heard the argument for Mondesi that, you know, in theory, he doesn't have a challenger for playing time. They've got no reason not to play him. But, you know, he's got a, he's got a cost-conscious team and no significant track record. Are you telling me that if he hits 200 for 250 plate appearances with 30% K rate, the Royals aren't even going to consider sending him down? Oh, yeah. you got to remember, they just signed Chris Owings, who can play all over the infield. Um, also, when it comes to Adalberto, uh, before the season even started last year and part of the season before, he was like the big, the next big prospect coming up in the system and he could never get it done in AAA, so they never brought him up. Like It was really almost, I think last year, like an injury or something kind of brought him up out of necessity and he just made it work. So it, he might do it. Like you said, he's 23. There's still going to be some growing pains, I think, with Alberto, And I think the year to get him is probably going to be next year when you can draft him almost 100 spots later. Yeah, I, I just I feel like even in the projections, there's no accounting for that sort of zero outcome. The projections are pretty wild when they're like almost all predicting over 20 homers. I, I don't see where that came from. I really I can't fathom that one. I mean, all, all I see here is Byron Buxton from last year. You know, like I just I think of <laughs> a guy that was and I mean, even Mondesi, even to that extent, I mean, Mondesi actually produced last year. So it's not quite the Buxton situation. Um, you know, Buxton was coming off a poor year and he still got pushed into the top 50, but with, with Mondesi, I mean, Buxton is a really good example because everybody was saying, well, fine, Buxton's going to see 600 plate appearances, no matter what they're going to play him and he'll run. And if he hits 240, at least I'll bank 45 steals and blah, blah, blah. Well, it didn't quite turn out that way. And we were all sitting there saying, all right, well, they're going to call him back up. They're going to call Buxton back up. And then sure enough, the Twins looked and said, all right, well, this is going to affect his service time and we're out of it. So we're not going to call him up. And that could be the same exact yeah. scenario that happens with Mondesi if he gets off to a slow start. Oh, yeah. And there's just no, <laughs> there's no accounting for that risk. And, and it, it feels like with, with Mondesi right now, he, he's got that feel of his new teammate, Billy Hamilton, where people are kind of reaching because he gets all those steals. And it's like people need to realize the um, the gamble and the risk associated with that gamble. Yeah, I mean, I've got a running I got a running joke on this podcast regarding Jonathan VR and my ability to mention him <laughs> in every single episode. But I mean, he's he's the perfect example. He I don't think he's got the shortstop eligibility in the NFBC formats, um, but he's got it in I think ten game formats, and that's the sort of season that people are dreaming on here is the VR season from two years ago which is the 19 homers, the 62 steals, 280 average. But yet VR has done that already and is going 
still 50 some odd picks after Mondesi. To me, I would much rather have VR and the 50 picks and the track record of the fact that he's actually achieved that level of production than take my shot on somebody who put together 200 good plate appearances. Yeah, and if if I'm looking for a stolen base guy, like you mentioned VR, you know, you can wait even longer. Go take Victor Robles if you want to gamble. And he he, he could steal bases, and and he might produce the same as Mondesi. I'm not saying go and do it, but if you're looking for stolen bases – Go wait and gamble later. At this point in the drafts, go get some consistency. Like in a 15-team league, you're at the end of round three, and there's still a lot of really good talent there. There's a lot of good starting pitching before that cliff starts to fall off. It just doesn't seem like the spot to take a guy like this with so much risk. Yeah, I mean, there are even guys we're going to talk about tonight. Um, you know, Elvis Andrus is one that, that has mm-hmm. multiple 20-some-odd steel seasons. Uh, Garrett Hampson's so another one playing in course, is supposed to get the playing time. Now, obviously, that's a risk with the Rockies, but I mean, that's a guy that could steal 25, 30 bags. So, I mean, there are options out there, which I think are kind of getting overlooked a little bit um, with the panic for speed. And to me, this is just a, a ridiculously high price to pay for, for Mondesi. Agreed. Okay. Let's move into Carlos Correa, eighth overall shortstop 49.79. And we're going to talk about him and the ninth overall shortstop Xander Bogarts 50.04. Uh, do you want a healthy Correa on the bounce back year or does the solid steady Bogarts carry the day for you? And this really comes down to, do you want the risk or do you not? Because I think where you're getting Correa, we already mentioned Chris Bryan on the show. There's a lot of these guys that were going in the end of the first, early second round last year that are falling big time. And Correa had a serious back injury last year. Anybody that's had a back injury realizes how hard that is to play through. And he kept playing through it. And it's obviously going to sap your power he still had 15 homers, 60 runs, and 65 stolen or 65 RBIs. Um, I believe the projection sites that have you know 25 plus home runs, 270-ish average. I, I, I buy into that. I think this guy's going to be really, really good. Now the thing is, when you mention him right next to, to Xander Bogarts, this kid, I think is special, like really special. And we saw it last year. You know, he's only going to he's only 26 years old right now. He had the 23 homers, 288. He's in an amazing lineup, obviously, with Betts and, and JD and company. It, it, it's more do you believe Correa's got the next step, or do you, and is the back actually healthy? Because we've seen the flare ups of the back, or do you go Bogarts? I want the Correa. I want to take the Correa. I believe we have the late first, early second round Correa, where Xander is always going to be this consistent, really good guy. He might take the next step, but give me Correa. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that this is sort of a team construction question. You know, if you've mm-hmm. if you've taken the shot on Rizzo or Bryant or, or that type of player coming off a bad year already, you probably are going to want the safety of Bogarts. If you've played it safe to this point, Correa may not be a bad shot to take because I think he's probably got a little more ceiling to him than Bogarts. But, I mean, in a vacuum for me, I, I think I want Bogarts simply for the health, health track record. I mean, we know that Correa is – uh, was Correa was dealing with the back last year. Uh, back injuries are, are, are tough. They tend to reoccur. Um, so I, I just, I, I think that in a vacuum, I want the safety. Um, you know, Correa's probably got a little more on, on the power side. Uh, Bogart's got a little more potential on the base paths and probably with the batting average. Um, they're both in amazing situations, obviously. Uh, Bogarts made some gains last year. He did away with some of the grounders, lifted the ball more, and that raises the power ceiling. And he was able to do that without losing any of the batting average. 
Um, I'm with you. I think a lot of Correa's struggles were health. Um, but my big issue with Correa is I, I don't think he's going to run. And if he's not going to run, true, you know, we're looking at 285, 290, 30 homers. And that's great. That's excellent. But how high is that upside? You know, like without the stolen bases, how high does that get him when you're looking at Trevor Story as the 20th overall selection? True. No, I, I agree. The, the, the empty category in stolen bases is interesting. At the same time, I don't completely want to count it out because he is only 24 and maybe maybe he's banged up for two years. We just really didn't know about it. And because back in 15 and 16, he had 13 and 14 stolen bases. All throughout the minors, he was still in bases. So maybe it's kind of like that Manny Machado thing where he had the, the kind of down season and then he started bouncing back. I agree. Uh, that it's a little suspect, and you got these guys that, around him that are stealing bags. But uh, th- there is questions there. It, it makes you wonder, though, like you said, team construction. Say you go and get a Trey Turner early and you want to play him in the outfield. Do you go for a Carlos Correa instead of a Sander? Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you have the seals, and the one thing I, be where you, that might you, be your deciding factor. You go. And then the last thing I'll mention is if you are like an NFBCs or the TGFBI, stuff like that, where you want to win the overall prize. I think you go Correa because you want to try to have the most upside possible over Zander. Yeah, if you're trying to win the overall, I could see that. Okay, yeah. Gliber Torres, 10th, 55.21. He's got second base eligibility. After a hot start last year, Gliber cooled. Do you think he's going to adjust back in 2019? So now that we have a ton of these young shortstops right now, um, the power's there. The hit tool could be there. The strikeout rate's scary. Um, I'm not buying it. I'll, I'll let someone else take the gamble on him. I think he's very, very good. But uh, where we're seeing him go compared to some other shortstop we've already talked about. And it's like for me, after Xander, it, it, I, I, I kind of skip over Glaber. I want to see it with some, someone else. Kind of like we saw with Adelbert, though. I, I got to see it again before I, I gamble on Glaber Torres. Yeah, I don't, believe, I don't think he belongs here. Um, you know, I, I think it's the Yankee yeah, tag. I was just about to say that. You took the words out of my mouth. The Yankee premium. Um, <laughs> I mean, he had significant contact issues. He was only 70% contact guy, 14% swing strike rate. That makes the K rate very real. Um, he also overperformed his expected home run output by 25%. That's according to X stats. Uh, you combine that sort of potential power aggression with the price, with the uh, contact, contact issues, you can see where it's problematic at close to a top 50 price. And especially when you look at it with Correa and Bogart so close. Um, you know, he's, Torres has never been a great base runner. The Yankees are unlikely to run at any kind of great clip because the lineup is so good all the way down. And it's and that's another point is it's fair to question where Torres is going to hit in this lineup. Let's say watch him hit ninth like he did a lot last year. Yeah, it's completely possible that he's hitting eighth, ninth. Um, you know, and while the Yankee lineup is going to turn over a lot and make him sort of an atypical eight-nine hitter, if that's where he ends up. He's probably more like a six hitter in a regular lineup, but it's still the volume isn't going to be there to the extent that some of these other guys are that are hitting one, two, three, four in their lineups. Um, So it also puts him at a disadvantage there if that's where he's going to end up hitting. Yeah, and then you also got to think about it. They just got DJ LeMahieu. What if they go get Machado and Glaber's uh, could go back to the minor and save some money? These are all (laughs) options. I know the Yankees are uh, are are getting uh, closing in on on becoming the Mets in terms of their their financial. Yes, too many spending. options. But 
I don't think yeah. that that's going to happen. I, I think that they well, and D and Didi will come back this yeah, year well, too. Yeah, Didi will be back sometime around. I, I mean, that that timeline is interesting. I I don't think that we really have a firm sense on when it's going to be. I've always sort of put it, you know, like the end of July in my mind. Um, and by that point, you know, who knows what they look like with injuries and the and the like. I mean, right now they're starting. They're planning on starting Troy Tulowitzki at shortstop. We'll see how long that experiment lasts for. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Gene Segura, Gene Segura the 11th overall shortstop, 70.68. In Philly now, you know, I, I kind of see some potential here for him to return to the power levels that he saw in Arizona now out of Seattle and in Philly because Philly's such a good power park. Um, you know, and there I think he's kind of an Altuve light you know, like a 2020 300 hitter, um, you know, Philly's one of the top Homer parks for right-handed hitters and Seattle's closer to league average in that sense. So he's going to get a boost there. Um, you know, he's sort of in a tier by himself. I personally have him in front of Glaber. Um, you know, I'd much rather have Segura, um, but he's sort of a unique entity. You know, he's pretty good on the average. He's got a safe floor. Uh, he's run, he's got a safe floor in terms of the running, and then he's got a little bit of ceiling that I think is going under the radar here in terms of the power. But what are your thoughts on Segura? Do you think the power comes back, and, and where do you see him in the grand scheme of things in terms of the position? I, I love Segura. When he went to uh, Philly, I was a big, big fan of this because pretty much everything you said, I think the power numbers will go back up at least 15, if not approaching it on 20. He's got that 20 stolen base upside, so I agree, a 2020 season is not out of the question. Uh, he's a very, very good hitter. Like 300 average is very much on pace for him. Doesn't strike out a ton, so very good ball, uh, bat-to-ball skills when it comes to Segura in a very good lineup now. Like a really good lineup in Philadelphia. I think there's a lot to like there. I have him as my ninth shortstop ahead of Mondesi and Torres. So, I've also, uh, I, I like, I've I've also like, got him in front of Mondesi. I agree with that. Yeah, I, li- I like Segura a ton. I like, I, I, when I look at my rankings, I have him nine. If someone wanted to take him over Carlos Correa, I'd listen to your argument. I wouldn't tell you you're completely stupid. Like, I, I'd listen to it. Um, it's just – and where you're getting Segura, like you said, NFBC right now, he's going at 70. You got Glaber at 50, Xander at uh, – Glaber at 55, Xander at 50, and Correa about 50. That's a solid savings on a guy I think will be very, very productive for your fantasy team. Yeah, a lot of times I feel like analysts sort of want to avoid the middle at positions. But with mm-hmm. Segura seemingly representing one of the, like, the middle options, I, I, I really like this. Like, I, I think that he's a yep. fantastic candidate. I mean, even if you grabbed one of the elite shortstops, I have absolutely <laughs> no problem grabbing Segura early as a middle. Um, even with the depth, just because the batting average with, you know, a 15, 20, 20, 20 sort of profile is so hard to find later. I mean, you're just, you're just banking batting average. It's going to let you be able to absorb some of that late power that is so readily available. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that the, the way he factors in every counting stat not elite. That's why he's where he is in the in the draft order. But still, he gives you stuff in every category. Like you were talking about earlier, out the gate with guys only you know providing four. You know, Arenado quality four categories. Gene Segura gives you quality five categories in the middle tier of a position. 
That's very hard to find. And when it comes to batting average, he's like upper end of that category. Um, so there is a ton to like there. I like the idea of having him as your middle infielder. If you take one early, people need to realize you don't have to be scared. To, you don't have to save your middle infield and quarter infield guys till the end. Draft what's available. Make that work. Gene Segura is the guy for me. If I don't get one of the top guys, I'm like I'm, I'm not avid like forcing myself to get one of them. I have zero problem with Gene Segura being my starting shortstop on opening day. I think this is a great position for him. I think there's a lot to like with Gene Segura. Okay, let's move to Corey Seager, 12th, uh, 86.64. So there's some discount here in this price after injury ruined 2018. Are you okay with buying a zero in speed at shortstop given the risk that he carries? It's, it's one of those things we just – how many guys we mentioned they have 15-plus stolen base potential at this position? I think shortstop is the position you need to take advantage of stolen bases. Um, and with Segura – I mean, Seager with the injury risk, I'm not going to do it. I've, I, there's a lot of well-respected guys in this industry that are all about uh, Seager, all about his you know draft day value right now. I won't be that guy. I'll stay away. Um, if, he, if he comes back, that's great. I don't want that zero on stolen bases when I can go get Gene Segura or some other guys a little later. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think the price isn't great. I, I expected it to be a little lower than this. Um, generally speaking, I think it's okay to buy the zero at speed depending on your team construction. I mean, I, I've sort of been advocating for Robinson Cano and Daniel Murphy even before he signed with Colorado. Now that he's in Colorado, it's a completely different animal. And Scooter Jeanette as sort of you know, these high average guys that provide uh, good power, but don't steal a lot of bases that can sort of prop up your, um, your, the risk that comes with owning a Javier Baez, for instance, or an Alberto Mondesi or a Jonathan VR, um, you know, your, your speedsters that aren't as safe as say a Trey Turner, um, you know, you can, you can use these guys to sort of prop up the batting average downside and, and turn them into, I mean, if you're talking about Mondesi and VR, you're, you're, you can sort of turn the two players combined into, you know, two 275, 2020 types uh, because the batting average will be so good. Uh, but the problem with Seager is, is he's a little more expensive than Cano and he's a little more expensive than Jeanette. And he's got more risk than both of those guys in my mind at least as far as the injury goes. And he plays for a team that even if he's not hurt, there's going to be days off in there because the Dodgers value their depth. They've got the roster to be able to move guys around and shift guys around. I mean, Chris Taylor played shortstop almost all of last year. He's by no means a slouch at that spot. Um, They could very easily shift him over to short, plug in Kiki Hernandez at second base or, or move the roster around to accommodate getting Seager um, some days off that'll hurt his volume too. So then if his volume is hurt, the power isn't, you know, 25 plus, it's more like 22, 23. And instead of the running RBI ceiling being 90, 90, it's more like 80, 80. And, and just the, the numbers just aren't quite there. Like you would want them to be to support the ADP with this kind of injury risk. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. You mentioned all those second basemen, and that's why I said when it comes to shortstop, shortstop has so many talented guys that can give you 15-plus. This is kind of where – I'm not saying you have to. It's roster construction, as you mentioned. This is kind of feels like a position where you should try to fill in a spot there with a guy that helps you in three, four, five categories, one being stolen bases. So that's why it's, it's really hard for me to go back to this well. 
Okay, let's move it to the 13th shortstop, Jose Peraza, 99.43 ADP. Peraza sort of become the poor man Segura. Do you like him and a bit yep. of risk? Or do you like Segura 30 picks earlier? I think we know where you're going to go on that. But what do you think? Can Peraza repeat? Okay, I'll still take Segura over him all day long. But you know who this guy is? He's the poor man's Alberto Mondesi. I will take Jose Peraza over Mondesi, at this, especially at the draft price, all day long. I've been telling people before people started – during football season that Jose Peraza is the guy I'd rather gamble on than Alberto Mondesi. I believe what he's doing. He keeps improving year after year. He's finally got the everyday job. Um, he's still very, very young. He'll be 25 this year. And the speed is legit. The power, you know, 10-plus homers, the speed is legit. He's going to get on base. He's going to run. They're going to let him run like crazy. The lineup's going to be very, very nice with Scooter, and I, I expect Votto to, to be even more a factor there. you got Yasiel Puig now in, in that lineup as well. I really like um, Peraza. I have no problem with his price right now at 99, basically 100. If it was a little lower, it would be even better. But, yeah, I like Peraza. No problem with it at all. Yeah, I love the lineup. I, I, I mean, I expect Votto to bounce back. Um, you know, you, you didn't even mention Eugenio Suarez, who's um, a fantastic oh, how hitter. How did I forget him? He's yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, you know, I also dad. think he's a great value. Um, you know, Puig, you mentioned. Every year. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a loaded lineup. But that's sort of where I get a little bit concerned about Peraza is where is he going to hit here? Is, are they going to hit him at one? Because then he's, he's a fantastic value. If he's going to hit nine or eight, um, I don't know. I mean, Jesse Winker's coming back. Uh, he's an industry darling, um, but he's a guy that gets on base a ton. So he really fits well at the top of that lineup. Um, now you could hit him two and then put Peraza at one, or you could do vice versa. But this is really where the risk comes in with Peraza in my mind is where is he going to hit in this lineup? Um, now, at 99, close to 100, it's not a deal breaker for me, um, especially because I don't want to put too much emphasis on lineup construction, especially given the fact that, you know, injuries happen and there's, you know, Winker is obviously a guy that's had his injury pass. Um, so even if he starts out in the leadoff spot, there's no guarantee he stays healthy. But I mean, in terms of skills, you know, Peraza has upped the power a little bit. Um, he's in a ballpark that will allow him to up the power a little bit. Um, it plays favorably. It's one of the best homer parks in baseball. So although he might be a five or six homer guy in a neutral park there, he plays more like an eight to 12 guy. Um, I, I think the speed, I think he could run a little more actually. Um, you know, I could definitely see the steel total getting up to 25, 30. Um, if he gets the opportunities, if he gets the volume at the top of the lineup, Cincinnati's never been shy about running. Um, I don't expect them to be now. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I think I would rather have Peraza at this cost than have Mondesi. Well, I would definitely have, rather have Peraza at this cost than have Mondesi at that cost. Um, I think I'd still rather have Mondesi if I was paying the same price, but I don't expect to have that opportunity. Yeah. But yeah, Peraza is yet another example of, well, why is everybody freaking out about speed at the top of the draft? Um, I'll gladly take Jose Peraza at this price and you know, just draft who I perceive to be the best players at the top and not really worry about speed. Yeah, roster resource has him going leading off right now with Scooter, Votto, and Suarez right behind him. So if that stays the case, I'd be very excited about yeah. that. Yeah, if he's hitting at the top of that lineup, he's pure gold at this price because yep. he's going to score a ton. 
Yep. Okay, Jerickson Profar, 14th overall shortstop, 115.7. First base, third base, and he's got second base in 10 games played formats. So he's got a lot of eligibility. The former top prospect made good last year. He's now in Oakland. Are we looking at continued development, more of the same, or do you foresee a fall off? I believe there'll be continued development, but it might come with kind of more of the same because that ballpark shift is going to be dramatic. Um, going from Arlington to Oco Coliseum is quite the uh-oh when it comes to these power numbers that, that burst onto the scenes last year. Hitting the 20 homers, we've been waiting for it. The steals aren't really there. We just talked about Peraz. We talked about Segura. Guys with stolen base upside. Uh, Profar doesn't have it. I, I really like Profar. I just, you know, that, that move to Oakland really doesn't do it for me. So I don't think he's going to be a downer. I think he'll, he'll get you your numbers. I just don't want him at this point in the draft. Yeah, Profar took some nice steps forward last year. K-rate shrunk. Hard contact was up significantly. The BABIP indicates there may have been some bad luck. Switching the locales, as you mentioned, yeah, the Oakland Park is is a tough one. But I think that Oakland lineup is significantly better than the one in Texas at this point. Um, So I think that there is some opportunity there for the run production to be better. But again, he's sort of... Like Peraza, where is he going to hit in this lineup? Is he going to be near the top? Is he going to be in the one or two spot? Or is he going to end up six, seven, eight? Um, if he's at the top, you're going to really like the run totals. Uh, hitting, by, hitting in front of Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Chris Davis uh, is a nice place to be. If he's behind those guys, yeah, he's going to have some opportunities to drive them in. But the volume of plate appearances goes down. Um, the one thing that I thought was sort of disappointing is about him ending up at Oakland is he was 10 for 10 on the base paths last year. Uh, you don't see that kind of efficiency that often, even if it was only 10 attempts. Um, you know, a clean 10 for 10 gives you some hope that maybe he could uh, tap into a higher uh, stolen base level. I just don't foresee that happening in Oakland. They're just not a team that really likes to run that much. Um, so, I feel like that's kind of a wasted opportunity. I think 2010 in terms of what he did last year is probably your best case scenario. Uh, I can see the average getting up to 265, 270, which is a nice player, but there's a lot of those types of players that are on the board at this point that are going much cheaper. You can get a lot of guys that go 2010 way later in the draft. Okay. 15th, Tim Anderson, 124.02. Uh, the big first half followed by a bit of a tumble in the second half. He's still only 25. You know, before the season, I, I said that Anderson could pop like this because of the homer to fly ball history. Um, he, he obviously reached 20 homers for the first time last year. He also walked more. Um, you know, <laughs> sort of a sort of a, a nominal victory. He was up to 5% from 2%. So, I mean, he more than doubled it. <laughs> 5% still obviously isn't great, but it's not non-existent like it was. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit of average upside from where he was last year, uh, considering the BABIP and his historical BABIPs, I think like 260, 255, um, with a 2025, uh, type Homer and steel profile is a pretty nice piece. Uh, he's another one you need to see where he hits. He was all over the place in terms of that lineup last year. Um, you know, he was at the top, he was towards the middle, he was in the back by the end of the year because he struggled so badly. Um, you know, I think he might be towards the back considering the contact and OBP issues. Um, that can hurt him a bit. 
but the, the category juice is pretty good here. Um, it's not always going to be a smooth ride, uh, which might make him a little bit better of a play in a roto format than a head to head where you got to deal with, you know, a lot of weeks of over a lot, of a lot of over fours. Um, he makes, <laughs> he makes kind of a tough own there, but what are you, what are your thoughts on Anderson? Do you think he can kind of replicate what he did last year or, uh, and, and how do you see him in the grand picture? Is he somebody that you're thinking about if you end up kind of punting the position or, or if you want him as an MI? Yeah, I, I like him a lot. Uh, I got him super late. One of my last picks in the TGFBI last year. Uh, obviously that's not going to be the case this year where he's going, but I agree. The average has, has a little room for some positive regression due to the BABIPs you mentioned, you know, the previous two years at 328 and 375 BABIP to go with the 289 last year. Definitely can move in the right direction. Strikeout rate even went down a couple of percentage points. So the, the contact skills, the swinging, the swinging strike, all that good stuff improved when it came to Anderson. But the, I think the biggest caveat, you mentioned it, he was going all over that lineup. There was really no consistency to be a run producer, uh, to drive in runs. It was all over the board. But I think one thing you can probably count on, like you said, 260, 265 average, 20 homers, 25 stolen bases. I like him a lot as a middle infield option. Or uh, if you really, really punt the position, I have no problem with him at shortstop. Okay, let's move to Ahmed Rosario, 16th shortstop, 140.77. Uh, he pulled the reverse Anderson, closed strong after a terrible start. Who do you like more in 2019 considering the price? I still like Anderson for the power upside because Rosario is not going to give you a lot of power. The steals are legit. The average will be good. His second half was outstanding. And the power came in the second half, so maybe if he puts a full season of that power together, you're looking a little similar there. I still like him uh, in – hitting in Chicago, given the Mets lineup might be a little better. You know, you're, you're kind of grasping at, at straws here, but I like the overall Tim Anderson there. Uh, I know it's a 16-pick difference, but give me Tim Anderson over Rosario. Yeah, Rosario's second half is something to dream on, I think. You know, 269 yeah. plate appearances, 268 batting average, not special, but the five homers and 18 steals in 24 attempts, that's that's a 1240-type pace which at a pick 140 you would you would love considering the price of the other 35 to 40 steel players um, with non-zero power. It's, it's a very intriguing sort of profile. Um, the second half improvement wasn't marked by real considerable discipline changes. The strikeout and walk rates were in the same ballpark. Rosario did do a better job of making contact in the second half. He trimmed his swinging strike rate, upped his contact, and specifically the in-zone contact. Um, you know, the difference you can see in the second half about a ball profile in the first half, Rosario was in the air too much. In the second half, there were way more line drives and significantly less pop-ups, uh, which explains why the batting average went up. And when the ball was in the air in the second half, um, even though it was less often and it was more productive, uh, more hot contact, less soft contact, less oppo, more center and pull in terms of his fly balls, um, you know, in terms of Anderson versus Rosario, I, I just I, I sort of agree with you. I think Anderson's power is a little bit further along. I, I do think that Rosario can sort of reach in time that 15, 20 homer mark. I just don't think it's this year. Um, both are likely going to be towards the back of the lineups. Uh, I think Anderson probably has a better shot to move up than Rosario, given the sort of depth that the Mets have developed and a lot of the guys that they've added have significantly better OBP profiles. I think Rosario is ticketed for an eight, nine sort of slot in this lineup. 
Um, and I don't see much room for movement barring a couple of injuries. Um, so I, I think Anderson might be the better bet, even at the increased cost. Definitely. Okay, 17th, Eduardo Escobar, 168.98. He's got third base eligibility. He's going to have the volume in Arizona. They signed him to an extension. Uh, solid but unspectacular. Does that sum it up for you? Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, I, I like where, like the value of where he's going for the power upside. You're going to get 20-plus homers. I believe in the, the average tool, 260, 270, or better type hitter. There's really no stolen base upside at all with him. So you're losing that. He's, you know, they just got rid of A.J. Pollock. They just got rid of Goldie. What's this lineup really going to be surrounding him? There's a lot of question marks there in Arizona right now. So I like the hit tools when it comes to Escobar. I just think when it comes to drafting-wise, surrounding picks and whatnot, I think there's better options when it comes to Eduardo at third base and at shortstop. Yeah, I, I just think he's kind of maxed out. You know, I mean, I think he's like yeah, a 20 homer bat, 270. And it's a, it's a nice player, but it's just I don't see – any real path behind beyond that, um, you know, he's going to chip in a few steals, but it's not like I expect him to get up to 15 steals. It's not, I, I would be stunned if he hit above 25 homers and, and the, and the batted at, batting average shouldn't rise much above 275. He just sort of is what he is. Um, the run production might be a little better because he's probably going to be in the middle of the lineup um, and they're going to need him to, hit high or in the middle of that lineup because Goldie's gone. Pollock's gone. Um, I think he plays a little better at short in terms of the profile, but even there, he's somewhat unspectacular. I mean, honestly, what's the difference between him and Ashdrubal Cabrera going 200 picks later? That's so true. And I'd take it through every time. Yeah. I mean, especially yeah. as the everyday third baseman in, in, in Texas, um, in that ballpark and that, yeah, I, I like everything about him. So I'm with you there. Okay, let's move it to his teammate, Azul Cabrera's teammate, that is. 18th overall of Asandris, 174.34. Injuries ruined what was a breakout 2017. We used to have a very clear idea of what Andrus was, 10, 20, 275. But now I don't think we have really any idea. Are you willing to buy back in on a five-category contributor that he was in 2017? Or was that simply a career year? I think that was a career year, but I still think he's going to be very good. And at this price point, I think we're going to get a heck of a shortstop. You know, he's going around pick 175 right now in the NFBCs. I think this is a guy that can legit hit 275-plus. He could give you 15-plus homers, steal you close to 20 bags, and he's going to help you in both runs and RBIs. He's going to give you good counting stats in all five categories, especially in a Roto League. Um, I think there's a lot to like about him. He's projected to hit third in the order in a very, very potent ballpark. And... Yes, the Rangers overall might stink, but you still have Gallo, Mazzara. You mentioned his Drupal. There's still a little bit in that lineup that will be behind him to make him important. Uh, Shinsu Chu will still be in front of Rubin and Odor. There's a lot of sneaky pop in this lineup. Mm -hmm. that They're they're still going to have to deal with Andrews, and if he's right in the middle of that whole mess, what's not to like about him at this point? Because, like you said, yeah, he he came off a career year. But the last year where he was getting drafted, he got hurt. He still put up decent numbers in the, in the limited amount of time he was there. I like him a lot. I think um, there's a lot of upside here with, with Elvis Andrews. Yeah, and, and that's something that you need to be conscious of when you're sort of thinking about these players and their situations. I mean, Texas is going to be bad, but the reason they're going to be bad isn't the lineup. The lineup, exactly. lineup definitely has some, some depth to it, and maybe it's lacking a real centerpiece. 
but it's it's probably lacking consistency. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's got enough talent there where the run production should be pretty good. And I, I mean, if this was injury, there's real profit potential here at this price for Andrews. A lot of the issues from a production perspective can be explained by the injury. Um, you know, the power being down, the batting average being down. And, and you have to acknowledge the power was probably coming down anyway. The power was probably not going to be 20 plus. Um, but, you know, I, I think mid-teens is a reasonable expectation, um, or at least was in, going into last year. Um, but, I mean, you have to attribute some of this decline to injury because it's just it's, it's painfully obvious. Um, but what the injury can explain, which I think is why he's fallen so far, is the speed totals. Um, he ran just eight times over 428 plate appearances after nine consecutive seasons of 21 stolen bases at least and at least 31 stolen base attempts. At 30, it's fair to wonder whether Andrus has the speed to run it that sort of clip. He's well past 300th in terms of sprint speed score. Um, but Andrus is also on a poor team. So, I mean, if they're willing to let him run and he's willing – uh, it might not matter how fast he is. Uh, you know, he can still find his way to, to 20 steals. Um, I'm willing to take the shot at this price because I think it could be 15, 20 plus steals, 275, 280, hitting somewhere in a decent spot in this lineup. I really sort of had trouble placing Andrus. I know he opened last year, I think, as their three hitter. I sort of see him as the two hitter which I think you were kind of hinting at with Chew in front of him. Um, right. And I like that spot for him. But I, I think he'll be in a spot where he can pick up some of that run production and be a pretty decent value. Yeah, I think there's a lot to like there at that point. And, and we talked about taking risks earlier in the draft. This is the time and the type of player to take a risk on, I think. Okay, 19th, Paul DeYoung, uh, 190.21. Fell short of 2017, but also showed some growth in an injury-shortened campaign. What do you make of DeJong? And is there any reason to take Escobar 20 picks before him? Take Escobar? With, no, not at all. These are almost the same player. That's a great comparison. Uh, they're both going to hit for, you know, decent average. You know, his average was down last year, but so was his bad. It took quite the hit. Everything else lined up pretty close. You know, the O swing and everything were a little off, but... When it comes to the power, it's legit. He's going to be hitting right now. They have projected to hit second in that order, which kind of surprised me. I could see him more like fifth or sixth also. But he hit in the middle of the order a lot last year. You got, then you got Goldie. You got Carpenter there. Um, the power is legit. No speed whatsoever on the base paths. But uh, I, I definitely would rather have him over Escobar price permitting. Yeah, the walk rate rose to a more respectable level. He was up 2.6%. He trimmed the K rate as well. Swing strike rate down, chase rate down, contact up. But most importantly, the zone contact was up. So, I mean, when he was swinging the pitches inside the zone, he was making contact. Uh, there was a bump in hard contact, but the home run fly ball rate regressed. He was still on a 25-plus clip. Um, probably deserved a little bit better on the Babbitt front. Um, so his true talent in terms of batting average, probably somewhere between 2017 when he hit 280-plus and last year where he hit 240. You know, it's probably about a 265 hitter. Um, he's likely ticketed for a top of the lineup or middle of the lineup spot, um, which is going to be, which means he's going to be a good source of middle infield power and run production in a lineup that's got Carpenter and Goldschmidt in it. Um, and especially because of the improvements that he made, I don't think a 30 homer season is out of the question, 
and we've already seen the batting average eke over 280. Uh, I'm not projecting him here, but unlike Escobar, who probably maxes out at 270, 20 homers, DeJong definitely has a shot at like a 280, almost 30 homer season uh, with 265 and 25 homers as a reasonable expectation. And I, I sort of see him on the same trajectory as Eugenio Suarez. Um, you know, he, he made those improvements last year, got a little better. It's a little bit under the radar because the results weren't as good, uh, but the skills were there. And I'm, I'm very curious to see if he can take another step forward. This is a guy that I'm really targeting, um, especially as an MI, um, or if I've decided to kind of punt the position and find my speed elsewhere, which is kind of difficult to do, as we've mentioned. But if I've yeah. managed to do that, I really like his potential in the middle of that lineup. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do sort of see him along the same lines as Suarez, who was a guy that was originally uh, you know, just supposed to be a 15-20 homer guy at best. Not a lot of speed, was playing short, um, and suddenly, and kind of suddenly improved, but gradually improved at the same time. I mean, he took his big leap forward last year, but in the preceding seasons, you can see the progression where, where he went from, you know, a 240 hitter that was barely a 20 homer bat to a 265 hitter that was mid 20s to last year's kind of breakout season. Um, I, I just I feel like DeJong is is making the necessary improvements to take another step. And if it didn't show in the results and if he takes another step this year, it might lead to a, a complete breakout. I, I like that call a lot. I think uh, there's a lot to like about him. I bought in on him last year and he let us down, but I have no problem going back to that well because the hit tools are very legit, like you were saying, and, and the breakout could come. I agree completely. Yeah, and the price isn't prohibitive either. I mean, 190 no, no, is, not at all. is nothing. Yeah, I have no problem with this at all, especially, like you said, targeting him as a nice middle infield option. I, I think that's a great call. Okay, Garrett Hampson, 194.28, the 20th overall shortstop. I own a few dynasty shares, and I'm hoping Hampson grabs the second base job. If Hampson is handed the job, what do you think his upside is, and how long do you view his, his leash? The leash is scary because we know how the Rockies operate. Um, and you have um, well, blanking on the shortstop they got in the Rogers. down Rogers, yes, Brandon Rogers. Um, and they want to get him up quickly. Hampson's really good. He likes to run. Uh, not a lot of power, but it is Coors after all. Um, so you might run into a couple, but a ton of speed, very good average. He's like he's, everywhere he's been, he's hit over 300 with reasonable Babbitts, not like crazy Babbitts. Um, uh, there's a lot to like. They have him batting towards the bottom of the order right now in roster resource, which is kind of scary. There, like I agree, he's more of a dynasty player. I don't think I'll be gambling on him this year. Um, we mentioned how deep shortstop is. There's some more guys coming up. I think I'd rather take the gamble on in better situations. But I think dynasty wise, you got to like Hampson a lot. The speed is legit. This could be like your next Adalberto Mondesi type guy in the next couple of years. But um, yeah, I'm not going to take a chance on him this year. It was 10:38 in terms of homers and steals across three levels last year. He's a prospect with good plate discipline. He exhibited that in a small major league sample, just a 20% O swing, uh, non-zero power, and plenty of speed. Hampson is, I think, a real significant value for those chasing steals down the line. Um, in cores, Babbitt should play up. And I don't think that strikeout rate from last year at 25% is going to hold. Again, small sample. 
So, I mean, I think you have a player that could be like a 10, 25, 10, 30, 275 hitter with pretty good OBP playing in cores. Now, that's pretty good on paper, but like you mentioned, uh, if he's hitting near the back of the lineup, volume might not be enough to get him there. Um, but, you know, I mean, there is a scenario where he could hit two in this lineup too. Um, yeah. And, you know, the leash is obviously the issue, and, and you touched on it. Um, you know, even putting aside uh, Rodgers, we don't know for sure the Rockies are going to play him over Ryan McMahon, who played some second base yeah. last year. Um, and the Rockies were in on the market for Dozier. Um, you know, the second base options, the market has kind of dwindled. They haven't been linked to anybody, but they were still looking. So, I mean, to me, it, it means that they don't, they don't feel compelled to give Hampson the job. Um, so the leash isn't going to be terribly long. I do wonder how much of that uncertainty is sort of baked into this ADP. Um, you know, I mean, he's a player in, in Colorado that can run that should be able to hit for a pretty good average. That's a non-zero in terms of power. Um, you know, everything I'm describing is exactly what people dream about. So I, I, I have to think part of the reason why he's down this far is simply because people are afraid the Rockies aren't going to play their young guys, right? I think that's 100%. It. Like, it's not just not play their young guys. It's There's McMahon. They might go sign a guy. There's a lot of pieces of the puzzle here that I think cause for concern is we're about to talk about a few more guys that I think people would rather take the chance on than, than Hampson, but the te- the tools are there. So, all right, let's, let's, let's just look into our crystal balls and say we're two months down the line. Um, and Hampson is pretty much announced as the Rockies starting second baseman at that point. Okay. How much higher is he going than this? He's announced as the everyday guy at second base. I still think he's going to be 150 ish yeah. at the most. Yeah. That's exactly what I had in my mind was about 40 picks. Um, mm-hmm. And at that price, I'm a little uneasy. Yep. I agree. Cause like, I, like, even though they announced him starting second baseman, it still scares the crap out yeah. of me. <laughs> okay. 21st, Marcus Simeon, 203.74 ADP. Simeon put together a solid year, but. Because of the quality of the position, he's really fallen down the ranks. Do you think that Semyon could find his way into either more homers or steals in 2019 and find his way back up the board? I think there's potential for more homers for sure. Steals, as he as he gets older, they might still be there, but I'm not as sure on those. Like I, I could see a, a potential 2015 type season coming his way. The average will be about 250, 260 there. But there's, there's just such consistency. You look at Semyon's numbers year after year after year. There's a lot to like here with him as a middle infield option. Uh, I like him a lot. You mentioned DeYoung. If you don't get DeYoung and you wait a little longer, a guy like Marcus Simeon, who, um, you know, last year he only had a 296 BABIP. You get that to improve. The average goes up. The strikeout rate dropped down to 18.6, which is outstanding. Uh, still not walking a ton, but not bad, about 9%. So he'll fill the, the counting categories out for you. And uh, if, if the power comes back a little more, he'll be, he'll be quite the steal at this point in the draft for your middle infield position. Yeah, I mean, the most impressive thing to me about Simeon is how far he's gone, he's come in terms of his defense. I mean, he was literally yep. the worst defensive shortstop in the game a few years ago, and last year he put up a gold glove caliber season. Um, yep. You know, from a, a, from a fantasy perspective, it was obviously a bit of a letdown, but, you know, that's that's just so impressive from a real baseball perspective. Um, 
but some of that letdown in terms of the fantasy sense was some bad luck. He deserved a few more homers uh, and some batting average, according to X stats. Uh, he, as you mentioned, he trimmed the K rate down to a career low 18%. That's great. That correlated with a swinging strike uh, percentage drop. Um, he's also showed a willingness to run. Uh, he attempted 20 steals, grabbed 14 bags. Not great, but he's got a track record of being pretty efficient on the base paths. So, you know, it's just going to, we're just going to have to wait and see if that was a down year um, or if it was sort of the start of the decline of his stolen bases. He is getting on the older side at this point for steals. Um, I doubt he reaches much beyond 15. Uh, because it is Oakland, but you know, like an 18 homer, 15 steal season, but like a 260, 265 average is a fair expectation. Uh, the issue is, like most of these guys, is where's he going to hit? Um, you yep. know, Lowry's out of uh, town now. Is he going to reclaim a spot in one of the top two spots in this order, or is he ticketed for a lower in the order spot? Obviously, if he's towards the top, more volume. He's getting driven in by the big three in Oakland. If he's towards the bottom, not so much. But, you know, I I think you're right, though, that he's another, like DeYoung, he might not have the upside that that DeYoung has, but it's it's a profile where there's going to be a lot of volume. He's going to do a little bit of everything. Um, And because you can trust him to play every day, he probably makes a very good middle infield choice. or, or bench guy in a, in a head-to-head format um, where if you've got a guy that's got second and short, you're kind of able to move some pieces around and you want to keep a short stop on your bench, um, Simeon's going to play every day and he's probably not going to hurt you. And that, that's a key thing as we get farther down this list here. His, his playing time isn't going to be a question, which some of these other guys will be. So you can lock that in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Simeon is going to is going to play every day, and we we know this because Oakland has done everything in its power to avoid playing Franklin Barreto. <laughs> yeah, like that. That's a whole other podcast in itself, right there. What the heck happened to Franklin Barreto? That should be like a a Dateline topic. Where did Franklin Barreto go? <laughs> All right, twenty second, William Thomas, two ten point one in terms of ADP, second base eligibility, and ten games played. Uh, he was a bit of a mixed bag in his debut. Do you think he could take a leap in his second year? A leap might be much. I think he could definitely take a step forward. Uh, we, we saw this guy, the hit tools are pretty legit as he went through the minors. He still hit 278 last year in his uh, 85 games, hit 10 homers. Uh, he still stole six bags. So if you wanted to speculate, you know, maybe he gets you 15 homers, 10 to 15 stolen bases. Hits you 260 or so. His BABIP was rather high, but not crazy. The scary thing was his strikeout rate went up to almost 30%, which in the minors, he's always kind of a low 20 guy. That could just be a young guy trying to figure things out still. But uh, overall, I really like the hit tools with Adamus. Uh, I don't think there's any question that he's going to get his playing time. Uh, where he's at in the order is a great question. What surrounds him in the order is a great question because that's always fluctuating and not as scary as it seems, but almost every offseason, it's not as scary as it seems. And next thing you know, here come the Rays. So, um, Willie Adamas, I like him a lot. I just don't know if I'm ready. Like, to me, he's a DFS player. <laughs> like, I, I could love him in DFS. When it comes to season long, it's like, okay, can I get DeYoung? Can I get Simeon? There's still a couple guys we haven't mentioned yet that I really like later in the drafts that 
I think Willie's still like another year away from being that guy I really want to target in a fantasy draft. Yeah, I, I mean, Tampa sort of is is interesting from that sense. I mean, you would think that they would want to give this guy all the volume in the world to get better, but they've got so many moving pieces and so many pieces that they can sort of shift around. Um, you have to worry about the volume from that sense, and then you also have to worry about where he's going to hit in the lineup. Um, but in terms of skills, I think we can expect a reduction in the K rate. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be sufficient to offset the regression on the batted balls. I, I don't think he's keeping a 378 BABIP. Um, yeah. you know, and I still think there's some work to do on his hit tool from that perspective. Um, I know he's got an above average hit tool grade, uh, but I still think there's some work to do at the major league level. Um, power wise, I, I think there's a bit more upside. The ground ball heavy profile was out of whack with where he was in the minors. Um, but you know, I think your I think your projection was pretty spot on. I mean, I would say seventeen, ten, two sixty, um, is a good player, uh, and f- a few years ago would have been highly coveted. But yep. uh, you know, the position has just really skyrocketed in terms of its potential and its talent. And you know, Adamus just isn't as exciting as he would have been uh, a few years ago. And you know, I mean, there is potential here where he turns into. Um, you know, a, a real contributor from a fantasy perspective, but I, I just don't know that it's going to be this year. Yep. Okay, Chris Taylor, two thirteen point one twenty third shortstop. It's going to have outfield eligibility and second base in ten games played formats. Uh, he took a bit of a step back, but was still productive. You know, I, I think Taylor's kind of safe uh, if they sign. Uh, they've gone out now and they've signed Pollock. I, I think Taylor's going to end up playing second base. Um, if he doesn't, I still think he can float between there and the outfield. I already mentioned when I talked about Seager that I expect that they're going to give him an odd day off here and there. Um, so, I mean, I, I imagine that Taylor is going to see a pretty significant level of playing time, even though he's um, sort of a guy they, they may move around more than most everyday players do. Um, you know, I, I don't doubt the playing time volume is going to be there from that perspective. Um, but you do have to wonder about where he's going to hit in the order. Um, Pollock is obviously going to hit towards the top. Um, Taylor got off to a bit of a slow start last year and found himself towards the bottom of the lineup against righties. I don't know that he's going to end up back near the top again uh, this year, at least, you know, not in any sort of permanent fashion, maybe, um, because of platoons, he ends up hitting towards the top of the lineup against lefties. That's possible. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think I sort of view him kind of similar to Adamas. Um, I have a little more faith in Taylor's ability to put himself in position to maximize his results at this point. Um, you know, so I, I think there might be a little more upside in terms of power and speed. Well, I don't even want to say that. I mean, I, I think Adamas probably has a higher power and speed ceiling. I just think Taylor's more likely to achieve his upside in power and speed because of how far along he is in the development curve. Um, and then he's also got the better eligibility um, end of the coin than Adamus as well. So what are your thoughts on Taylor? I mean, down year to last year, is this a good price? Is it a fair price? Are you looking elsewhere? I think it's a very fair price, especially like you said, he had a down year last year and going into last year's drafts, he was probably going at least a hundred picks earlier. Uh, people were just all over him. And coming off 21 homers in 2017, he still finished with 17 because of that second half surge he had there. I think a, a legit, you know, 17, 18 homer season with 15 stolen base upside 
and still hit a consistent like 250 or so or better, I think it's very, very solid. His K rate went up last year. It's gone up each of the last well, two years, but last year for sure. I can see that regressing a bit. Um, a lot of that was factored into that bad start, like you mentioned. You hit it on the head. He's very, very similar to the Adamus type, uh, except I still think Adamus' ceiling, yes, is, is better, but I think it's going to be another year or two before we see that. Where Taylor, you know what you're getting. I'm pretty confident in what you're going to get, and you can kind of slot that in and be safe about it. His multi-position eligibility at that point in the draft really comes in handy. And it also, like you said, it will leave him to a lot of playing time. He's not going to get you know, platooned out and on the bench. He'll just be moving around the diamond and maybe moving around the order where certain days it's not as ideal, but he's still in that lineup in a very good Dodgers lineup that will be contending and likely win the West yet again. And we'll see him in the postseason. And, and if that's the case, they'll be in a lot of games scoring a lot of runs like they've been in the past. And Taylor can be a very big factor of that. So I like that a lot. Um, there's a lot of lefties in the NL West, if you want to think platoon that way as well, which usually means Taylor goes towards the top of the order. So uh, I don't mind them at all. I take them over Adamus. They're, they're very similar. But uh, I, I do think Taylor is in for a, a bounce back year and maybe, maybe gets closer to that 2017 season than we expected. All right, 24th, we've got Jorge Polanco, 215.39. Uh, suspension really hurt his 2018 with playing time and improved talent around him. Could the popular 2018 breakout candidate do it in 2019? All the Jorge Polanco. All of the Jorge Polanco. I absolutely love Jorge Polanco. I believe in the batting average. Uh, he's a 280 to 300 hitter. Uh, the power, you've got 15-plus homers, and I think the steals could be in the 20s. I, I really, really like this guy a lot. He does not strike out a ton. Um, I think he might even walk more this season because in the years past, he's walked a lot more than we saw. Or at least in the minors, he walked a lot more than we saw this past season. Uh, I think there's a lot to like with him. His, his zone uh, discipline is very, very good. Uh, and the Twins lineup, is still, it's not like flashy, but there's a lot of pop in that lineup. If he can get on base, steal some bags, he's going to score a lot of runs in Minnesota. So I, I really, really like Jorge Polanco. I think he's a value at this point in the draft. And um, yes, give me all the Jorge. Yeah, Polanco. I'm with you. I think this is excellent value. Uh, you know, I expect Polanco to be towards the top of the lineup, be driven in plenty by Eddie Rosario and Nelson Cruz. Um, he's shown patience. He's limited strikeouts. He's got good power and enough speed. He can hit for a decent average. I would have him as like a 275 hitter. But I mean, this could be, you know, this could be what you would see from Marcus Simeon or Chris Taylor, maybe a little bit better batting average if they were hitting at the top of their lineups. Um, you know, it would make them that much more appealing. And Polanco is going behind both of those guys, despite the fact that he's almost definitely ticketed for a top of the lineup type role. So, I mean, 20, 15, 275 as a leadoff guy in a lineup with really capable bats. Uh, I, I'm all on, I'm all on all in on Polanco at this price. Yeah. When, when it comes to Polanco, it's like, he's likely a middle infielder where he's going, but if for some reason you don't have a shortstop, I have zero problem with him. As no, a starting I agree with you 100%. If you wanted to punt the position, then this is the guy. Yep. Definitely. Okay. 25th, Angelton Simmons, 217.9. Uh, defensive wizard has turned himself into a, 10 homer, 10 steal, plus batting average asset. Is there a path to more, or he is what he is? I think he is what he is when it comes to power and stolen bases. What's so great about Anderson Simmons is, A, where you get to draft him at. B, he's going to be in a lineup every day because he's a gold glove uh, shortstop. And, you know, you still have Mike Trout sitting there. 
But what he does for your team, if you lack batting average, you can get a very stable 280 to 300 hitter consistently year after year um, to round out your middle infield. Preferably not your shortstop spot, but if he's there, he is. It's not the worst guy to have at shortstop. But um, I, I think the power is what it is, 10 to 15 homers, 10 to 15 stolen bases most likely. But that average is so clutch when it comes to that point in the draft. Uh, I really, really like Simmons in that respect. And that's why you got guys like Polanco and Simmons coming so late at the shortstop's position. This shows how deep the position is. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the, the one thing that's really hard to buy at this point is, is batting average and, and usable batting average at that. And while, you know, ideally he'd be closer to the 15-15 profile than the 10-10, um, you know, I would project him closer to the 10-10, but, you know, it, it's still not a zero. You know, it's not, it's not 10-0 or, or, you know, two homers, 13 steals. Um, you're getting a little bit from both those categories, plus the 300 average, plus the volume of playing every day, which offsets some of being um, in, a, in, in, a, in a lineup spot that's not going to be advantageous for run production. You know, I, I really, really like Simmons um, as an MI. Lacks the ceiling that maybe a Polanco does, but uh, is nonetheless very, very solid. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so before we call it a night, is there anybody beyond 25 that you've got your your eyes on? Is there Are there any names that you like? Um, Mar- Marvin Gonzalez is always a good one to keep an eye on. He, ha- he doesn't have a home yet, but eventually that'll that'll pop up. Uh, the one I really, really like, I'm not just going to name a bunch of names, but uh, you, we mentioned him already, is Drupal Cabrera going about pick 296 right now. He'll be probably batting in the middle of that uh, middle or top of that Texas order. Uh, this is a guy that has 14 or more home runs in every season since 2011. He's basically good for 14 or more homers, 65 more runs, 60 or more RBIs, and he's going to hit you – 280 to 300 like this guy is so so good when people keep wanting him to decline he keeps getting it done so there is a ton to like when it comes to Drupal Cabrera at that draft value not to mention the multi-position eligibility uh, those are a couple of the guys I'm really looking at you know if you want to take a punt on like a Tim Beckham because he's going to be starting for the the Mariners you can but that's like a super late punt um, I don't want to name everybody but that's just a few of them. yeah I've got some other names um, Cabrera and Marwin were both on my list um, Kettle Marte is one going to play every day. Yep. Going to add. Did you hear? Go right ahead. No, oh, no, no. Sorry. Continue. I was saying, did you hear they're going to try to play him in center field? My very next now? note is he's going to add outfield eligibility. Uh, um, uh, you know, he yep. didn't run at all last year when he was sitting in front of Goldschmidt and Pollock, but he ran when he was towards the back of the lineup. And if he run, if he runs like he's capable of, um, you know, could be like 275, 15 homers, 20 steal type type player um you know he's never run at that level before but arizona is on the downswing they might have to run a little bit to create offense Marte's got the ability and the on-base skills to to run at that sort of pace so i do like kettle Marte quite a bit um lourdes goriel is going to play every day he's a bit of a free swinger love, love but, that you know, call similar to what you're talking about when you're talking about Eduardo Escobar in terms of what you would expect, 20-some-odd homers, five, six steals, 265, 270 batting average. And it's probably going to be in a prime lineup spot as well because that team is sort of in flux at this point. Um, 
then you move yourself to your prospects, your Fernando Tatises, your Brendan Rogers, your Bo Bichette's. Um, Tatis is probably at the top of the list, big time prospect. Um, you know, I, I think San Diego will probably need to really um, overachieve early in the year for us to see him very early. Um, and I know that they've been looking in the third base market. If they had a Mike Moustakis, um, you know, I would expect it would probably be a one year deal and they would look to move him at the deadline. I could see him up in late July to August. So he's probably more of a stash candidate than anything else, but um, you know, he's a premium prospect, of course. Um, Brendan Rogers blocked right now, but you know, injuries happen. He's, he's a premium prospect as well, especially in cores and Bo Bichette can, can run flat out with non-zero power um, has enough on base ability and batting average that he's interesting. But again, I think he's kind of like Tatis. I think he's going to be uh, towards the second half of the year, if at all. Um, I, I think the first guy among this group that we probably see is Tatis. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that crew of prospects? Yeah, Tatis is definitely the one uh, I see coming up sooner than later. You know, they got Luis Urias playing shortstop. They got Freddie Galvis lying around there somewhere. But um, I think Tatis definitely has a spot for you there, like you mentioned. And he's, he's really, really good. But uh, yeah, Brendan Rodgers is blocked. Bo Bichette, I, I think he's still a little bit away. He's all really, really good talent. But if we're going to see any sooner than later, it's going to be um, it's going to be Tatis, like you said. Um, uh, let me ask you a question. What's your thoughts – where you're going to get him now? I picked 369 on Dan Swanson bouncing back. You know, I, I don't think I'm investing at all. Um, to be honest, he's he's the classic case of a prospect that was probably overvalued by the fantasy community um, based upon real life rankings. Um, the glove is obviously fantastic, but. I don't know that I see him as much more than a 15, 15, 270 type in the best case. Um, I don't know that there's much beyond that. And he's, you need some significant improvement to get there in my mind. No, I agree. It's just, it's an interesting one because, you know, like the projection sites, Steamer and all them, they're, they're giving him, you know, 12 to 14 homers around 10 stolen bases, hitting 250. It's like at that point in the draft, is that really that bad? <laughs> it's weird. It's really weird. No, it's not. It's not bad. It's just. Oh, I'm with your thought process. I I agree. I just I'm thinking where we're getting them in the draft. It's like, do we consider it or we just say screw it? It's kind of well. I mean, you know, this. you've mentioned the fact that you, that you're that you like as Drupal Cabrera, right? And that's sort of where he's going. Yep. So, isn't that your comparison yep, exactly. point? Who would you rather have? They're actually going. Seventy to eighty picks apart right now, with who being more expensive? With his dribble, uh, his dribble oh, being more okay. expensive. Drupal, he's going two ninety six. Swanson's going three. Uh, Can you give me some names that are in the uh... around Swan around Swanson? You got uh, um, like Scott Kingery, Orlando Arcia, Hernan Perez, Aledemus Diaz, Brandon Crawford. Yeah, I think I like Swanson the best of that bunch. Yeah, that's what that was where I was getting with that. It's like, as much as I, I don't want to go there, and as much as I want to troll Justin Mason anytime I can, um, he, he's if you're going that deep, which I hope you're not, he's there. But you know who I do kind of like among that group 
and I, I mean, I would struggle to see the scenario where I would take him. But I think a Lemus Diaz in Houston is interesting. And it's a very crowded situation. But he's sort of become the de facto Marwin Gonzalez guy there. True. Um, a lot of, of pop. The role that he would seemingly inherit. Um, and right-handed bat in Minute Maid um, has hit for plus average and plus power before uh, in lesser parks. Uh, he's a guy that I sort of think is interesting in, you know, extremely deep formats. You know, if you're talking AL only type formats, uh, you know, the volume isn't certain, but I-, I can totally see a scenario where he finds his way to 450 plate appearances. And has a significant run where he's pretty valuable. Yeah, and the, the last guy I'll mention, because a guy that I'd rather wait on over Dansby Swanson, which is crazy to think, but going uh, about 70 picks later, and he's actually got an everyday role in Arizona's Nick Ahmed. I know he kind of overachieved last year, but if you get an everyday starting shortstop at pick 440, not the end of the yeah, world. Yeah, and he's another one of those guys that's, you know, glove first. Um, and. Yep. When when you have that kind of profile, sometimes the bat clicks a few years down the road. Um, I, I know last year he kind of had an approach change and went for um, more power than he has in the past. Um, yeah, and the volume is going to be there. I mean, he's going to play, so it's not a bad it's not a bad pick at all, considering the price. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of my thought. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, thanks so much, Bubba, for joining us again. Can you let the people know where they can find you again, just in case they didn't catch it at the top? Yeah, again, thanks for having me, Pat. It's always uh, good catching up with you. Um, I'm on Bench with Bubba out once or twice a week over on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all the places you listen to podcasts. You can find it. Um, we're changing the website from thesportsdegens to fantasysportsdegens.com. should be up and running in the next couple of days. It'll be a work in progress for a while, but please come back and check that out. If you like the content you like before it's there, got a ton of other podcasts out there. We'll have our DFS shows as we always do, but uh, I'm on Twitter at BD Entrick. If you have any questions, feel free to hit me up. DMs are always open. Uh, we have a Slack chat. We talk at, but uh, bench with Bubba. That's the big one. Go check that out. Okay. And you guys can of course find me on Twitter at Patrick FWO. Thanks so much for listening. And we will be back next week.